The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Wind energy, air carrier emissions, Dublin Airport's potential third terminal, all central topics in Ireland's new green agenda aiming to meet climate targets. And with that, I'm joined in studio by the Minister for Transport, Climate, Environment and Communications, TD for Dublin Bay South, Green Party leader Eamon Ryan. Uh, Good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Now, this wind auction uh, yesterday, uh, there were, what, six bidders and four uh, succeeded. Now, this was what they called an inverse auction. It's not the highest price that gets the prize, but the lowest price. Yes, and and there has to be competition in it to make sure we get good value for the Irish consumer. Uh, and I think we achieved that in the auction. I think it's it was very well organised by my own department, by Airgrid, by our energy regulator. Uh, and I think if you look at cross, uh, well, if you look at the price of the wholesale market, just to give people a sense, over the last year you, has been averaging around two hundred euros a megawatt hour. This is less than half that. Okay, so, no, no, but pre-war when we were using uh, oil, gas. Um, and even we were using a bit of peat for a while, what was the typical price per megawatt hour? Oh, gas would still have been more expensive than that and the typical price would have been above that. So this is, renewable power is the least expensive, it's the most secure, it's the cleanest, it's the best energy source we can turn to. And this, these auctions will deliver uh, equivalent today of a third of our, of our electricity needs for the country. Now, so this the way is, the market used to work was that the... the, the uh, price paid for the the last um, kilowatt that they needed at any given time was the price in that given hour that everybody got. Yes. Um, have the rules changed now for this new wind regime? No, this this re- re- regime will fit in within the energy market, but the people who are building the world wind turbines know that they have a contract for difference that whatever the market price does they know that they have a floor that they can that they can make sure Okay, they so they the might get construction. more No, there's also a, well, so they, they might get a, in various markets there, there are various different markets and it's a very complex area uh, The but the uh, there's also a cap in terms of what they will get certainly from the from the state so no this is this is puts a, a real a real benefit to the consumers okay, But you're saying 80 six is what they're uh, guaranteed because they were looking for a guaranteed price to make the whole thing viable exactly. for themselves. They came in, 86 euro was uh, the price, but they might get a hell of a lot more. Now, it brings me to that whole question of windfall profits that were being talked about, that wind companies were coining it because the price for, for gas had gone up during the war, the, and the war is still ongoing, but the prices have stabilised. But still, they were making windfall profits simply that, because others were being paid more. And that's why we will introduce a windfall tax on those supernormal profits caused by the war. But the the basic reality part is gas is expensive and is likely to continue to be expensive into the future. It currently provides about half of our electricity needs we need to reduce that dramatically down to about 20% by the end of this decade and eventually zero. Um, the uh, alternatives, coal, are also expensive. There's also the price of carbon you have to put on this. The best energy supply for us is a combination of wind and solar. And what we will also do at the same time, we will build, build interconnection with France and with the UK we have a new interconnector we're building between uh, UK and Wexford. We have a new interconnector we started building between France and near Roscoff, between uh, Cork and near Roscoff in France. And that ability for us to trade and sell our mm-hmm. surplus, as well as bringing in power when the wind isn't blowing, will give us the most stable, uh, competitive, 
a low cost for yeah. consumers power supply. But, but I still have this issue that um, wind, we, we want it because it's reliable. It is going to be cheaper in the long run. Once the things are built out, effectively you're getting a free supply of energy uh, from the wind. But they m- still might make more depending on if we need gas as a transition fuel, and we will. We'll have so much solar, we'll have um, so much wind, but we will still need that backup. Uh, we might be able to buy nuclear from the, the UK or from France, but we need backup. So whatever we pay for the backup when we're stuck is what the wind guys will get. Now, surely that whole market needs reform, that you should be able to go to the guys. If 80, if you can do it for 86, keep doing it for 86. That's what we'll pay you. It's guaranteed. Uh, why give them more? It is. It is. Um, we do operate within the European market. There is a review. What, what you say is true, that the underlying is the last price uh, that, uh, that the market needs sets the price for the market. And that has tended to be fossil fuels because they're the most expensive. So, yes, we're looking at ways in which how does the market evolve and develop uh, to, so that it protects consumers from those high fossil fuel prices. That won't be concluded for another year or two, but it won't undermine the fundamental uh, reality here that we know we can deliver wind at competitive prices. It is where we have an advantage. One of the reasons why the prices is lower for wind is our wind speeds are stronger than they are in other countries. Mm. So what are they in other countries? Denmark has a very advanced uh, wind industry. Uh, What are they paying per megawatt hour? It's always difficult when you compare one with the other. And and also, uh, this is probably the most recent auction. Of all the auctions into a new country, this is one of the lowest prices. It's also one of the most auctions in recent years when we've seen a lot of inflation. The cost of steel and the cost of components has gone up. So by comparative terms, we see this as very competitive. I was in France yesterday Mm. talking to the wind industry. I think most people across Europe said, yes, that's a very competitive price. Uh, just, Just say that, you know, kind of Denmark is very good at the wind industry. They are. But we are too. We're probably up with Denmark in terms of the volumes of wind power that we manage in our system. Most of that to date has been onshore. And and what we've learned is how you can balance and use wind power in a secure way. We will now, what's happening now is we're switching offshore and to solar. There was a sunny day two weeks ago when for the first time we were starting to see solar really have an impact. 10% of the electricity we were using on that afternoon was coming from solar power. And we're only really starting there. We're going to ramp up really rapidly. So with this large power source from offshore wind and with solar balancing the existing onshore wind and we will build additional onshore wind, we have a path to a secure and for the Irish consumers, which is most important, yeah. an affordable energy now, system. You said something in passing that, that there would be a maximum price in these contracts that uh, the wind generators would be paid. And you said from us. Does that mean that if they don't like the price that the government has maxed out at, they can flog it through the interconnector to other people? They can. They, there's always a possibility. And for those who lost out in the auction, you can always look to do a power purchase agreement with uh, with industry, because industry is also looking for for clean power. Um, uh, and there will be trading on on those interconnectors, but our, our, our the way we've designed the market, it's to meet our emissions reductions targets. It's to meet our renewables targets. 
this mechanism, the way we've set up the auction is to make sure not only do we get competitive power, but that we also meet our renewable and climate reduction targets. Okay, but we've got to have access to that energy if they decide they don't like the cut of any government's jib and they sell it through interconnectors provided by the state to third parties. Uh, How can we guarantee that that doesn't happen? Because the credit, the carbon credit and the renewable credit goes back to the Irish market and that's where that's the key thing but from so, the so state's perspective. No, but if we we're doing that and we get the credit for the energy that's generated but because these guys are selling it to third parties we have to burn gas where we yeah. have a carbon deficit. Well, I mean what sense would that uh, make? That interconnection with the United Kingdom makes a lot of sense. Being the characteristics of renewables, it is variable. The par- the no, power I'm just, I'm, I, I understand an interconnection would be wonderful. Eddie O'Connor, as you know, wants a European supergrid. He's right. And he's right. So in terms of the practicalities of having access to, to power, that's, that makes total sense. But the idea that third parties come in, and it looks like they're all foreign companies that got these contracts, they use our wind. I know it's nature's provided, but it's uh, garnered off our shores or on our shores and flog it to third parties. It's like allowing people to dig for gold in the, 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 in the hills here they and get no they, royalty. They won't be allowed to do that, Pat. They, there won't be direct contracts. If there is exchange between the market here and the market in the UK, that won't affect or impact on either, as I said, the credits that we get here for the low carbon fuel, the development of renewables, so uh, any trading or arrangements around the interconnectors is separate from this. And as I said, we've designed it in that way because we've learned we've been at this 20 years. Mm-hmm. And as I said, uh, of all the countries in terms of who's running the most renewables in their system, Ireland is right up there at the top. And this is the new industrial revolution. And what we're good at is the balancing capability. And also, mm-hmm. I think now getting good and, we, and we've only started in offshore renewables, we show, we, we, we've shown by this okay. auction that the rest of Europe and the rest of the industry are looking at Ireland and saying yes, mm. they have the right okay. sort of so, rules in place. But again, these are foreign companies. Where's the, the, the local expertise? We know that, you know, Eddie O'Connor was the, the pioneer here in two companies, um, but the companies that won the auction yesterday, uh, there are Norwegian interests and they already have loads of oil and a massive uh, sovereign Sovereign wealth fund for their people. I mean, the wind is supposed to be our sovereign wealth. Uh, but, why but, but there's also like Ireland is good at this. Like ESB are involved in this. Bordenamone is involved in this. The company you mentioned, Mainstream, they're employing hundreds of people out in Sandyford Industrial Estate, and they're not the only company. We have real skills. We have real project management and uh, skills in renewables. And so, yes, there are other European companies involved. But the scale of capital—that's a nine billion euro investment in the country that they're putting in. And the long-term prize, as we get this right, firstly with this lower cost offshore renewables, fixed bottom, we will provide for our needs in a way that keeps Irish consumers' yeah. prices down. But, but you but have the, lots of money uh, and will have from the corporate tax receipts however temporary they may be. And I'm thinking of the Norwegian Statoil model the na- the, which was a national petroleum company in Norway, which coined it for the Norwegian people. Why are we not doing that for ourselves if this is an eternal resource, the wind? Um, it just would be like uh, racking up money in the bank every single day. 
Well, yes, and, and and that's what we will look to do using this resource, and and it will become in time an export capability for our country because we have our sea area is seven times our land area. So the real prize is to go into the western and southern waters where the real large resource exists, much higher wind speeds, and convert that into an energy source that we can use to provide jobs here at home. But, no, but I mean, these are being done by by commercial companies. Is there no case at all for a national wind company, a state company that would get involved, become the entrepreneur, uh, sort out all the planning issues and so on and get the profits. Well, it is state-led. I mean, we are we are moving... This first series of options... You're a regulator, but that's it. No, we're more than that, because what we're designating, the second round of auctions will start later this, later this year, and that will be where we designate where the market, our investors or developers go. We do that to maximise our onshore grid as well as our offshore grid, and we will get a, a real benefit from that in terms of economic development in the, in the state. Okay. There will be Irish companies involved, state and private companies, um, and also huge benefits to the Irish ports which will deploy this. Sure. This, is, this is a real... Yeah, and there'll be lots of jobs and maintenance jobs and so on. Now, we have existing windmills that are going to run out of licence very shortly. Mm. Why? I mean, these things are good for another 10, 15 years. They could be rebladed. They could be made more efficient. Um, if they've done well for us thus far, why do they have to be re-licensed or maybe even shut down? You're right. What we've seen with windmills is they do have a longer lifetime than maybe people might have expected. Our first offshore wind farm went into the Arklow Bank some 19 years ago and are working just as effectively uh, as they did on, on day now one. Someone made the point yesterday, you, a factory doesn't get a temporary licence. No, but the, the uh, but the state does work in terms of certain licensing conditions. You set a, a time frame and, and uh, uh, we do one of the things the state does, if, if you set and agree a contract, then you uh, you stick to it. You don't start varying terms. No, but is it going to be a rubber stamp that these uh, wind farms can be renewed very simply? We look at that and, and obviously take into account the benefits of st- keeping particular plant in place, mm. not having environmental impacts of having to take out turbines, uh, having to uh, put in uh, a different sort of uh, um, road system or, or, or other infrastructure yeah. elsewhere. And the turbines can be more efficient, the modern ones, the blades can be more efficient and so on. Yeah. Uh, so renewing them, if you like. Uh, That's what tends to happen. And they're getting bigger and just give an example these are very large turbines uh, the first ones that went into uh, Dodder Bank sorry to the Arkla Bank uh, were about a quarter the capacity of the new mm. ones that are coming in so it, the uh, technology is evolving that's partly why the price is coming down and, and across the world 85% of the new in generation in electricity last year across the world was in renewables. The revolution in solar and wind is not going to be stopped. It's going to become 100% of our power supply in time with balancing backup capability. And we okay. happen to have one of the best resources in the world. And that's why I think it's a really good news story because yeah. we know um, now we have a path to a secure, and we're sustainable about energy system. about getting this delivered, uh, what was agreed yesterday at the auction by 2030. However, the planning board is a mess in spite of reforms, it is a mess. And the very idea that someone building onshore wind should be applying to the same board as someone who's building an extension on the back of their house. Well, we're I sta- mean, it is crazy. Open all have established a special unit, because you're right, this isn't your extension next door. These are very large projects and and there's complex environmental issues involved, uh, as well as engagement with other stakeholders, fishing communities and so on. Um, those resources have been put into board planola. Why should the same board, which has shown itself to be incompetent, if not corrupt, I don't why, why, why should that board be charged 
with this very important, vital national uh, infrastructural I effort. I don't accept the argument that Bob Penola is incompetent or corrupt. I, I, yes, there have been pr- failings and the primary failing in my mind is a lack of, a lack of resourcing. Uh, that has been rectified. There is no restriction in the resources available, not just from Borpanola, but the other institutions which were involved in all this. You don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. Yes, but why not have, have a separate price. planning outfit for um, activities like this, which are absolutely enormous? Uh, and the idea that you go into the same board, as I say, with the, you know a development of three houses or an extension at the back, as you would for a multi-billion euro wind farm investment. Because you might have to replicate then all the legal and other constructs that are in place that give Borpanola its independent characteristic, which you do need. And that would probably take a number of years, which so you'd be delayed and you wouldn't be... Like, there is a race on to develop this industry here because other countries are looking to do the same. If we were to try try to change their entire planning system as you're doing it, uh, I think that would bring delay. And also, I'm not too sure it would bring benefit. We haven't a number of significant but, I mean, changes. The, the expertise that's required for this kind of thing is very much different to the expertise that traditionally the board has had to utilise for a, a, you know, a factory or a it data centre or whatever. This is very different. It is. And one of the changes we've introduced in new mar- marine planning legislation uh, and new agencies, we've introduced a new agency, MARA, which its job is before anything goes to Borpanola to do a real detailed technical assessment. Does the the companies, the developers have the um, project management, the technical, the financial, the environmental expertise. And that screening effect will mean that there will be much less chance a project going into a board parola that doesn't have all the kind of, there, there, there'll be a lot more of that technical and other analysis done in advance. Why not leave the, the whole thing to them? Because Instead of going to a board that is busy doing other things. Because what we found with auctions in the past or any development process is that you you kind of um, you'd give someone, for, for example, in housing in Dublin at the moment, there's a lot of projects which got planning permission, but they're not actually being built. By at the very first phase, giving a consent and re- clearly establishing that anyone going into the development auction process has real capability and intent to build, that means you get much less inefficiencies but in the system. But you're, you're actually handing it back to the board that allowed those uh, strategic housing developments to get planning and not get built. Yeah, because ultimately, Pat, you do have to have faith in the institutions, the independent, legally separate independent institutions of the mm. state. Like we could kind of say, oh, everything's terrible, scrap that whole thing and start again. And that wouldn't necessarily serve the Irish people. The underlying use of an independent planning board to assess decisions, it does, it is the right way. Okay, and the right but approach. is it too slow? Because yes, we saw Shell pulled out and they said, no, we're not going to hang I, around I for, for this, this crowd to get their act together. I don't think Shell pulled out. I think Shell pulled out because they're pulling out of renewables to a certain extent. They're going back into gas, unfortunately, for Shell. And what we've seen yesterday is the main biggest European energy companies with a real eye to this re- renewable future investing in Ireland. That's the story here today that actually I wouldn't... Shell leaving was not a function of anything on our part, I don't believe. I think it was there kind of deciding as the oil price, the gas price rise to go back into into the fossil fuel industry, which I think is a fundamental mistake. That's mm. not the future. Um, there are other things on your desk as well. Um, third terminal for Dublin Airport. 
Well, that was someone, I think, one and pilot association. Yes, Evan, Evan Cullen, retiring from the Irish Airline Pilots Association, said desperately need a third terminal. Um, the 40 million cap that DAA feel they can handle comfortably will be reached in three or four years. Um, an airport takes 15 years to build. So if you're thinking about it, well, we should have thought about it maybe 10 years ago. There's a lot of investments we need to make in Dublin Airport. We have to put a metro in. We have to make sure the building itself is energy efficient and is low carbon. That That's a huge investment. And in doing that can significantly improve and upgrade the terminals. Uh, we've just put but, in a new runway. The possibility of a third terminal, if the, the numbers do go beyond 40 million passengers a year, up to 50 million passengers a year, what I think, then? I think you'd look at that. But one just general point, Pat, we do have a slight, one thing we have tonight too, the national planning framework rightly in my mind, says that our, all our development has to meet three real criteria. Firstly, we need better balanced regional development, we need compact development and we need low carbon development. We do have to be careful that we just don't see Dublin growing in, 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 in never-ending growth in Dublin and Cork and Limerick and Galway and Waterford and Sligo not seeing the same path. I think for Dublin, that would not be in Dublin's interest. We need a balanced country. So are you saying no to that third No, term? I'm not, because it hasn't, it's not on my desk, so there's nothing to, to say no to. But just a general point, we do have to be careful. We need to balance region development of the country for the sake of Dublin as well as everywhere else. Um, other smaller projects uh, like the freeing of uh, car traffic from uh, the plaza in front of Bank of Ireland and Trinity College at College Green. Um, the, the, it's been touted by members of your own party as this great grand civic space. Now, a civic space with buses going through it, perhaps they could reroute the buses they can't reroute the Lewis so you'll have a civic space that we're all supposed to enjoy with scooters whizzing by bikes whizzing by um, Lewis trundling through it's not an ideal civic space no matter how you parse it and yet it's being sold as that I think it's a first stage or a further stage in the development of the city centre where we do try and create a sense of civic pride and beauty and, and, uh, and a safe place in every way um, and yes, it's a sig- significant development. We need to go further. We need to look at other parts. If you look, for example, other, or other great civic spaces, look around the, the uh, Customs House, the Beresford Place, and what you see, that big multi-lane highway system through our city centre. Um, and the same on the Keys. While there's a lot of improvements in the Keys in recent years, if you could look at the South Keys as an example and how we don't really face the river and treat our city centre as a place mm. which is really special. And the need for that is because the city centre itself needs revitalisation. It needs to make sure we don't just, everything moves out to out-of-town shopping centres. Uh, we need to bring people back living in the city centre and we need... Our Do you believe the Lewis should vanish off the, the streets? Because there no. is that talk, you know, the link that will go underground uh, from Renola at Beechwood or wherever it's going to be, so that therefore you could lift the tracks off the, the, the city centre and have people no. exiting the Lewis underground. No, we need both. We will. So we what will do you do about College Green, this great civic space with trams trumping uh, through you, it? You can have civic space with, with trams running through it. That's not uh, a problem. Yeah, uh, OK. Uh, I mean, it, it just seems that it'll be open season for people whizzing through on bikes and scooters. By the way, on scooters, have we come up with any protocols for the running of scooters? We know Paris has banned the commercial mm. uh, or has decided to ban the commercial uh, provision of, of scooters. They do 
go at some excessive speeds in spite of there's supposed to be a limit on them. We see kids with no helmets on them going at speeds that are actually quite dangerous. That legislation is due in the Shannon for the last report stage in the coming next two weeks, I think. And then we will enact it and including that will be the regulations around scooters. That will regulate speed. So we have guardies stopping people and saying, let me see your speed limiter. How is it to be done? Will they have little guns to check the speed of a scooter? The details of those regulations come after the legislation is in place, but but uh, uh, yes, we will we will regulate it because th- there is an, a safety issue there. It's not just in city centre. If you're in parks mm. or places like that, you don't want pedestrians mixing with people who are kind of going by, as I said, in a way that is very threatening to them. So, we so will, will they be banned that. from College Green? No, it won't be a ban. It will be uh, it will be uh, a regulation on speed. Okay. Uh, and also, sorry, Pat, one of the regulations there is you can regulate the actual devices. You can actually control how fast they can go. Yeah, and then they can take off the, the limiter. You know the way kids are. They will manage to do it one way or the other. The, you have only a few seconds left before you have to leave. Uh, you're lettered to the, the docs about their plans to develop. You're not happy. No, come back to us earlier on about Better Balanced Regional Development. And Dublin Port is a similar story. What the port company are suggesting is that we double the capacity of the port in Dublin. And 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 I have real concerns about that. It was my duty to, to outline them. Various concerns. Firstly, I think it would involve something like an additional million truck journeys in and out of the port. And and all that has to go onto the M50. It's Do not you favour Harry Crosby's proposal that much of the freight would be uh, shipped out by rail yes. and into some sort of Midlands uh, holding area Absolutely. from which it could be distributed? Absolutely, because as I was saying there, the M- all those trucks have to go on the M50 at the moment. The M50 is full and is going to, going to be full for the next 20 years. And so, yes, looking at, I was in Paris yesterday talking to the French transport minister, what they're doing in Cherbourg, which is where some of the tra- our, our freight vessels come from and go to, a lot of them, is, is looking at rail freight where you allow trailers go onto a train, bring it to Marshall Yard yeah. and then put it back on uh, and a truck takes it from there. So I think that's exactly the sort of approach we should be taking. But also, uh, bag plans to the current plans are what affect we turn Poolbeg Plinz or a lot of it into a trailer park and to a container park and I think most Dubliners would agree with me that's not where we see the future of Poolbeg Peninsula I think we should be extending the nature reserve there which is an important part of how we manage Dublin Bay and using exactly as you said such rail freight capability to bring containers out of the of the, uh, the uh, port area to the west of Dublin or other marshalling yards around the country that's a low carbon. That's the way modern freight systems are going. And I think Dublin Port can do the same. Minister Eamon Ryan, Minister for Transport, Climate, Environment and Communications, TD for Dublin Bay South and Green Party leader. Uh, thank you very much for your time this morning. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.